Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Good. Well, for me, it's afternoon. Uh, but good morning to you. Uh, I am Sandy, grateful, recovering, compulsive eater, and food addict. Um, very honored to have been asked by Deb to share at this meeting. Um, although I hate it, uh, it's not my favorite thing to do uh, to to speak. But I was told by my sponsor, "You never say no," <clears throat> and so I do everything my sponsor has ever told me. uh, And she has been my sponsor for 40 years. God bless her heart. Yeah, I know. She's been, she has walked through this program of recovery for 40 years with me and she deserves a medal. Uh, Okay. Let me qualify a little bit first and then get into it. I truly believe I was born uh, a food food addict. Uh, I had issues from the moment, you know, I was hospitalized when I was six weeks old and uh, with, um, pertussis, almost died. Um, And so who knows, who knows, who cares, doesn't really matter what that did, you know, psychologically and physiologically to me, uh, being separated from my mom and all that sort of and from food. But it doesn't matter. It does not matter what the cause of my uh, food addiction is just doesn't matter. What matters is that I recognize that I have it and sought treatment. I say that uh, it was started from birth because my first binge, and I remember this as if it were yesterday, was at the age of three years old. And I'm 73. So that's 70 years ago. That's a long time to have this memory in my head with the effect of what food did to me or for me. My mom gave me a banana. I ate it, wanted more. She said, no. I was a tiny little three-year-old and um, she put the bunch on the counter, left the room, and I proceeded to pull over a chair, climb up on the counter, get the bunch and ate the entire rest of the bunch of bananas and then threw up. But I remember that feeling of that first banana going in and that just the joy, the physical joy I got from it. And I wanted more. You know, for me, this is a disease of more and I, I, I needed more. So I got more, um, all through my childhood, I was a very tiny, small, little skinny thing. Um, my mom was always overweight and that was always troubling to me. Um, but for me, didn't matter what I ate. I didn't gain weight when I was a child. And what I would do is I started uh, babysitting when I was about maybe 10 or 11 years old. I was a very, I was almost an only child, responsible kid. I loved other kids. And what I would do is I would babysit. And the purpose of my babysitting was to get money. And the purpose of that money was so that I could go buy junk food. And I had a little, I had a little tiny suitcase like this that I would take with me whenever I went babysitting. And it was filled with junk food. I would go to the store and I'd buy all sorts of candy and chips and it would be in that little suitcase and I would take it with me. 
Now, nobody knew what was in the suitcase except for me. And the people I babysat for would say, well, you know, just help yourself to whatever. They had no clue that a 10, 11, 12-year-old, 14-year-old, 16-year-old would clean out everything in their cabinets if I were if if they if I didn't have my little suitcase with me, you know, so I brought my own stuff and I used to get on uh, now, this is a long time ago. Lunch was, I think, 25 cents hot lunch. And my mom would give me the money and I would take five cents and buy an ice cream at school. That would be my lunch. And then on the way home, I would stop at the luncheonette and take the other 20 cents and buy a burger and a malted milkshake every single day. I lived on junk crap you know, and that was how it went. Um, I remember uh, my, I have two older brothers that are much older than me that were pretty much married and gone by the time I was, you know, 10, 11 years old. And I remember them coming over and my sister-in-law who was very thin. I mean, I was thin too, but she was very stylish and all this stuff. And she would tell me, stop eating the bread and butter. You know, we would have a on the table at Sunday dinners. And I would just keep taking bread and butter and just keep eating and eating and eating. She said, have another piece of roast beef. Stop eating all the bread. I couldn't stop, you know, but that was just, I didn't know at the time that food for me was a sedative. It was something I lived with tremendous fear from the time I was three years old. Uh, Recently, you know, doing like my fifth or eighth, fourth step, discovered that there was some abuse as a three-year-old that I had kind of poo-pooed and forgot about. And it turns out that I lived with tremendous fear, fear of everything, everything. And that food was my salvation. If I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have the food to save me from those fears and anxieties. um, Well, I do know what I would do because by the time I got to be about 14 or 15, I asked my mom, I was suffering terribly from depression. And I asked my mom, could I talk to the school psychologist? And she was like, oh, absolutely not. You don't talk about your problems. And I'm like, okay. So I didn't. I just stuffed. I just kept eating because um, the depression was so overwhelming. She was sick from the time I was about 12 years old. And she died when I was 16. I did not know she was dying. Nobody told me that she had cancer. Nobody told me that. Well, I'm sorry. They told me she had cancer because they used to go with her for her radiation treatments. But they didn't tell me she was dying. And she went into that hospital for the last time. And I never had a chance to say goodbye. And just found out on a phone call that she died. And I was numb. Uh, it was unexpected. And But the worst part of it was that, you know, number one, I was a teenager. Um, I didn't like the fact that she was fat. Um, She was older than my friends. You know, all my friends had mothers that, you know, had their kids when they were in their 20s. My mom was 40 when she had me. I thought that was so old. And but back in those days, it was old to have a baby. And so I had so I had resentments and I had anger and stuff towards her. And so I didn't treat her very well. I wanted to, like, go have another mother somewhere else. So I would leave home and go to my girlfriend's house and hang out with her mother, you know. And when she died abruptly like that, it left me with this gaping guilt and shame that was overwhelming because it was like there was nothing I could do. So what did I do? I kept eating. Um, I uh, got married uh, (laughs) 
I'm not even going to go into that because there's not enough time. But I got married, had my first baby when I just turned 18. My husband was a Marine. He was overseas in Vietnam and he was killed in Vietnam the week before he was due to come home. And, um, you know, life happens. Uh, Food for me was still my comfort, my sedation, my escape. Depression ruled the day. But as a typical addict, you know, trying to solve my problems, I just, I married the man three months after my first husband was killed. Let me see, wait, four months, four months after my, my husband was killed and came, his body was brought back from Vietnam by this Marine. I married the Marine who brought his body back because what else would you do? And, you know, it turns out he was suffering from post-traumatic stress from Vietnam. He was also an alcoholic. Oh, sorry. My first husband was an alcoholic. Oh, and by the way, so am I sober uh, in AA for (laughs) for 40 years. Um, So, you know, and then, so I had a child for my first marriage and then we had two more of our own. Life goes on. Um, Food was still and body image. You know, I, I had so much, so much was attached to what I looked like on the outside. My inside was dying. My outside, I was trying to make it perfect and tried and it started, the dieting started and it started and it started. And oh, one quick thing. My mom, when I was 12 years old, we lived in the town where Jean Nidich, who started Weight Watchers, lived. And my mom was one of the very first Weight Watcher participants. And I remember her coming home with um, the the one page typewritten diet you know, on an onion skin piece of piece of paper, you know, and that was the diet, you know, and I went on the diet with her. Okay. I was 12. I probably weighed 60 pounds, but I went on the diet anyway, because I never wanted to end up looking like my mom. So dieting and that diet mentality, you know, she did amphetamines. She used to have like little pills, you know, from the doctor in her dresser. And I'd go and I'd play with them because they were pretty. And, you know, so all of that stuff, ended up in my brain that if you're not a certain weight, if you don't look a certain way, you're just not acceptable and something's wrong. So anyway, fast forward. So I went on a bazillion diets. I went on every single diet you could possibly think of, you know, through the years, you know, and for me, I never got uh, up until maybe like 10 years ago, didn't get morbidly obese. You know, I was maybe like 20 or 30 pounds overweight, but ne- but it wasn't about, it wasn't about the weight. It was about that, the shame of the fat that was on me, but it was the shame that was underneath the fat that was killing me. It was the shame of what, you know, my relationship with my mother, with my first husband, I had lots of guilt, lots of stuff that I did. And all of that stuff was underneath that little layer of fat on the outside. And that's what was killing me. I suffered horribly from depression, attempted, you know, uh, suicide. I just, I, I couldn't live life on life's terms. So I was, let me see, in my early thirties and I was desperate. I could, I, I was desperate. It was just that simple. Um, I had found a higher power whom I chose to call God a couple of years before then. And I truly believe that it was that higher power who led me to the doors of OA. So I don't know how I didn't know anything about alcoholic or uh, anonymous programs. My I knew no one who was an alcoholic or in anonymous programs growing up. 
And somehow I think I heard it on a radio program or whatever about OA. And I'm like, I was desperate, desperate. So I went in, I went on a Friday night, they handed me a packet of brochures and I don't remember specifically what was said. I just know that for the first time in my life, I didn't feel like an outsider. I finally felt like I belonged somewhere. These people were talking about me. And, you know, I went home and on the back of one of the brochures that had the 12 steps. So, you know, I tend to be an overachiever. So I decided, all right, I'm going to do these 12 steps right here, right now. And I stayed up all night long. And, you know, steps one, two, and three, I had no problem with from the moment I walked in this program. I knew I was powerless over food. I knew my life was unmanageable. That was a given. You know, I uh, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I knew I was nuts and I believed in a higher power. So I'm like, okay, I can do step two, turning my will and my life over to God. Absolutely. God, take it. I can't do this anymore. So steps one, two, and three was a no brainer right from the get-go. So um, I started going to meetings and it was like my second or third meeting. This woman came over and sat down next to me and she said, you're in trouble, aren't you? And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. She goes, I'm going to be your sponsor. I'm like, okay. And she took me back to her house the next day. And uh, I read to her my fourth step, which I wrote that very first night. I wrote like for hours and hours and hours. I just wrote and I took that back. And for eight hours, she sat there and she listened to me pour my heart out. And it was the most Uh, five minutes left. Thank you. Gosh, wow. I got to talk faster. Okay, so. (laughs) So, um, you know, and she said to me, Sandy, she says, you know, I did a lot of those things and I've heard a lot of fifth steps and a lot of people have done those. She did admit that there was one thing I did. She'd never heard anybody else had done, (laughs) but that was okay. That was okay. So I, but I was, you know, some are sicker than others. I was truly sick and it took me the first five years I was in this program. I, I, I felt like a newcomer. I just, I had nothing to give. I had nothing to give, you know, and it just took, it took time. It took what it took. And um, cause I've got a few minutes left. So I want to get into recovery for me, the recovery is in the steps. You know, it's all about the steps, you know, without a psychic change, without having a spiritual awakening, my life would just be back there. I never want to go back there. You know, God has been gracious and saved my life, you know, so many times, but through this program and through recovery and my responsibility is to give that back. Um, now, I tend to be someone who likes to ice. This is a disease, a fatal disease. For me, it's a fatal disease of isolation. So I don't, I, this is not comfortable for me. I mean, it's okay, but I'd really rather be in the other room knitting by myself, you know, but that's, but my responsibility is to be giving back what was so freely given to me because it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. I heard something yesterday. I wrote it down because I wanted to share it. It said, if I create a life I love, I won't need to escape from it. And I'm like, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And today I have a life I love. Is it easy? Heck no. Um, Is it worth it? 
Heck yes. You know, it's simple. Just keep doing what I'm doing. You know, I get up in the morning. I say the, um, the third step prayer pages 86 or 88 in the big book, the 11th step on awakening. You know, I, my, my conscious contact with God, if I'm not in that spiritual connection, if I don't have that spiritual connection, I'm in trouble. So I know, I know where to go and what to do. I have some really serious, seriously horrible things going on in my life right now to my loved ones. Horrible. Like I won't even go there, but things that normally, if I was not in this program, I'd be so knee deep in food. You wouldn't find me because I wouldn't be able to handle the pain attached to these things. But today, today's a gift. This, all I have is just today. And all those, you know, family members that are, they have just today. It's just for today. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? It doesn't matter. All that matters is here and now and what I can do to, um, to stay in this frame of mind. Because if I were to ever pick up that food again, ever, if I were to ever pick it up again, you wouldn't see me. I'd be gone and I'd be dead because I know for sure I would kill myself. It's just that simple because that's where food brought me. So um, as far as like encouragement, keep coming back, you know, if you're new. If you're old or, you know, (laughs) um, just keep coming back because it's not, you know, it's hard. Food's hard because we have to eat. It's not like with alcohol. I've been sober for, for 40 years. It's easy. Put down the drink. Don't pick it up again. Simple, easy peasy food. I have to eat three meals a day. So it's not so simple. You know, it can get complicated, emotions and all that sort of stuff. But I know that my recovery is here. It's, it's here. This is the solution for me, you know, and when I ever doubt that, all I have to do is think back to my last binge, you know, and I'll just share this as a closing thing. Um, I suffered a, a near fatal car crash and, uh, I went into a deep depression, post-traumatic stress, the whole nine yards. But in the meantime, I had, it was near Christmas. It was like the end of November. And I had already bought Christmas presents for everybody. And I had bought, you know, those big, if you have Costco near you, those big bags of lint truffles, you know, there's like 40 or 80 of them in a bag, you know, for 10 bucks at Costco. So I got all my family members, those and had them, well, I ate them all. And I'm talking like in the matter of days. I just sat there. That was my last binge because uh, it was like, okay, 30 seconds. It was like opening up a vein and injecting heroin. Not that I've done heroin, but what I would assume would be the same thing. It was the sedation. It was that feeling of escape. I never want to go back there. So I keep that memory right here. Anytime the thought of food comes in, it's like, do I want to go back there? No, because my life today is second to none. And with that, I will shut up. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandy. There is no break at this meeting. The LA Inter- Thanks, Joan. Okay, so this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of us after the meeting. Um, also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are her own and not of those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you ask a question, if you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. 
if you have a question, please uh, click the raise your hand icon and I will call on you. And um, I see Alice. Hi, Alice Compulsive Overeater. Uh, Sandy, thank you so much for your share. And um, the couple, of, I have two questions. Number one, if you wouldn't mind sharing your um, if uh, your uh, contact number, um, I, I'd really appreciate it if you could. And number two, with the fact you have, like you have some awful things that are happening with family members, what are you doing daily on a daily basis to kind of keep your mind centered and program and to keep yourself from going um, going to the food? Thank you. Okay. Um, one thing, and I, I sent Deb, I sent you a message. Um, I won't put my number in the chat openly like that. If um, I put it on the Google Doc. So if you go there, I added it to that just because I had a bad experience once when I put my number in an open chat. So um, yeah, I put it on there for you. And I, I put it under Sandy, Massachusetts. Um, and I'm Eastern Standard Time. Um, as far as what I do, um, the way I used to deal with tragic situations was to just withdraw and go into depression, despite the fact that I have, you know, a higher power and I rely on God, it still wasn't enough. It was like, I did not have the ability to turn it over. And today for me, it really comes down to gratitude. I have to focus on every single day. The first thing I when I journal is I, the first thing every day. And I, I keep thinking that uh, God's going to get like a little bored with this, but every day I'm like, God, thank you for blessing me with this beautiful life. Thank you for this day. You know, let me live it for you. The, I, every single morning I start out with that because if I have gratitude, because I'm alive today, I shouldn't be, I should not be alive with my history. I should be dead many years ago and I'm not. And today, what I do is just turn it over and I have to trust, you know, and thank you for these family members, despite the tragedies that they're going, that that's going on. Thank you for that person in my life, you know, and bless them, you know, and bless me to be able to be available. Because for me, I have to look at if I'm unavailable as a support system, you know, that, that for me is love. For me, it's all about love and service, gratitude, love and service. And so the gratitude that I'm, I have the ability to love and serve someone who needs me um, and needs my encouragement. You know, I'm an encourager. That's kind of a role that I, I, I have taken on within the families. I encourage people. So when they're suffering and they're you know, having horrible times, they know they can come to me and they're not going to get judgment. They're not going to get, you know, advice. They're not going to get, you know, all they're going to get is pure love and a shoulder to cry on if that's what they need. But it starts for me with the gratitude, just for the fact that I have the ability, as long as I'm working my program, I have the ability to be there. That's it. Thanks so much, Sandy. Uh, Bob, Bob M. Yes, I am Bob, compulsive overeater, recreational sugar addict. Uh, thank you, Sandy. And uh, you said that isolation is a big part of you know this disease for you. 
what has your service done for your program in this program by you giving service? Great question. Um, you know, like I said, the first five years I was in this program, I felt like a newcomer, you know, and I just, I didn't, I felt I had nothing to give, nothing. And my sponsor would literally take me and shove me and make me stand at the door and greet people when they came in. And it was the most uncomfortable thing that I had to do, but I did it because I was desperate. You know, desperation for me is the motivate, was the motivator, um, to working my program today, you know, um, like I said, I'm 73. I've had a bunch of strokes. I have them continuously. Um, I have a hearing disability, so I, I can't really do phone calls. I can do texting or I can do zoom cause I read lips. Um, so I can't do a lot of the service in meetings, um, that other people like tech hosting can't do that kind of stuff. My brain just it just doesn't compute. So my service is uh, saying yes when someone asks me to speak. I do sponsor, um, and even but that that was tough. You know, isolation. I don't want people call. You know, I, I, do I have to? Do I really have to? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I do. Five minutes left. Okay, and so it's uncomfortable, but I do it anyway because I reap the rewards, and that's what I have to remember is. Every time I come out of myself, I'm helping someone else, but I'm also helping myself because this is a selfish program for me because I don't want to go back there. Thanks, Sandy. Frank. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sandy. What a beautiful share and uh, just so humbling and uh, open, just uh, refreshing. Thank you. Uh, so um, question for you. Um, there are many of us, uh, myself included, that um, are in um, one or you know an additional program, let's say, uh, uh, and you shared that that you are as well. Tell tell us if you can. Um, the uh, how has this program helped your other and the other helped this one? You're muted. So when you're ready, I was muted because I'm thinking. <laughs> Not sure quite sure how to answer that. Um, well, what's funny is, you know, I came in because food is my primary addiction. Um, and when I shared that fourth step with that sponsor, she said to me, Sandy, do you think you might have a problem with alcohol? And I was like, and she says, how about if I take you to an AA meeting? And I was like, okay, I would have gone anywhere with her. If she would say, jump off that bridge, I would have jumped off first. Um, so I went because I was a binge drinker, you know, I didn't drink, you know, all the time. I didn't fit the alcoholic, you know, I probably drank more in my entire career of what a true alcoholic drinks like in six months. So I didn't get it till I went to that meeting and I heard a 70 year old skid row bum drunk tell my story, the emotional story told that part of me of what it was like, that soul, the spiritual soul sickness. And I was like, oh, you know, because to me, an addict is an addict is an addict. It doesn't matter. I mean, food's my drug of choice, but it can be shopping. It can be knitting. It can be, doesn't matter what it is. It's anything that takes me out of this world and reality and anything that I can become obsessed with. So food, like I said, drug of choice, but so, um, so I go to both programs um, and I pretty much work them the same. 
You know, there really, for me, is no difference. It's just a different substance, um, just a different substance. I think we might have time for one more question. If there's anyone else. Hi, Deb, it's Cheryl. I guess I can ask. Hi, Cheryl. Thanks. Sandy, thank you so much for your awesome lead. Um, I have a riff on question number one, which is when that crushing pain hits your heart and your soul, what do you do at that moment? I cry. I let myself, I, I allow myself to have the emotions that I didn't want to have before because the level and depth of pain would, would destroy me. And I knew it would destroy me. So I used the food today. I know that that level of pain, it's going to hurt like hell, but I allow myself because I don't allow myself. I'll go back to the food. I'll go back to bearing it. So for me today, I cry, I scream, you know, I get in my car and just scream, you know, I do, I, I go for a walk. I, I, I do something. Okay. I take an action, but the action is not picking up the food. Any other action that is a healthy action I will do. I write, I'm a writer, so I will write. And so that's what I do. Thank you so much. I think we have five more minutes. Is that correct? Nine, 10, 15, 15 whatever, or right. Okay. We have, okay. We still have time. Ellie. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for your share, Sandy. Forgive me if I missed it, but would you let me uh, tell us what your abstinence is and how much your low weight, your high weight? Thank you. Okay. Um, my abstinence today, um, I came in to this program, like I said, 40 years ago when it was gray sheet. Uh, that never worked for me, uh, partly because of that. It brought me back to the Weight Watchers and the control eating and whatever. So for me, that never worked. For me, my abstinence is three sensible, moderate meals a day with one snack, if needed, depending. I'm I'm a pre-diabetic, despite the fact that <laughs> this ticks me off. You know, I'm an appropriate weight. I exercise and I'm still pre-diabetic, but it's genetics. Um, so that's my abstinence. Um, I do not eat recreational sugar. Um, but other than that, I really don't have restrictions on what I eat. It's just sensible eating. Um, my highest weight was 170. Um, uh, my current weight and has been, is like 116. Um, and that to me is a miracle. I mean, I weigh what I weighed in high school, which to me is a miracle, except that in high school I had muscle. So, you know, 116 and 73 is a little different from 116 when you're 16. Um, so I think that answered the both questions. <laughs> um, okay, I have a question. Um, has your uh, connection with your higher power changed? Has it yeah. What was it like in the beginning and what it's like now? Okay. Um, like I said, I uh, came into this program. I had found God. I'd searched. I was, I grew up in um, a Jewish household with no real 
training or religious back, you know, cause my mom was ill or whatever. So I didn't really get it. I'd never seen a Bible, whatever. And then when I was in my twenties, late twenties, um, I went to started going to church, found God or, you know, and, uh, became very re- religious, you know, and, but it wasn't about religion. It was truly about forgiveness and love and all that sort of stuff. So I had that strong sense and that worked really, really well for me. But then three times in this program, I walked away from God because bad things happened. And when those bad things happened, I was like, if that's what you're going to be like, God, I want nothing to do with you. And I walked away. And the very last time was about five years ago. I was miserable. I was abstinent. I was sober, but I was miserable. It was because I had, I didn't want God. You know, it's like, I just didn't want him anymore. He wasn't, he wasn't doing it my way. And one day a situation happened and it struck me right in the face. And and I, I really truly heard God say, have you had enough of yourself yet? And I'm like, yeah, because I wasn't a very nice person during that time. It was like, I wasn't living the spiritual life. And so, yeah, it brought me to my knees and uh, broke me. It broke my heart open to see that God is, God is, I have no idea who or what God is. It doesn't matter. All I know is that God is a power that has given me this gift of life and given me the gift of recovery. And so I can do one of two things. I can embrace it and just go with it or turn my back. And I pray I never, ever turn my back again because I was one miserable human being. And today it's not that way. And you know what? God knew what was going to be coming down the road for me. He knew that this stuff that was going to, and he knew I was going to need him. So. Thanks, Sandy.